0: Today's episode is brought to you by Kindred.com. Kindred partners with local churches everywhere to make smart giving a possibility with a simple tap, click, or text. It is a beautifully simple concept.
1: I love the ability to give with my phone because it allows me to be generous even when I don't have cash on me. Uh, Because let's be honest, I never have cash on me. With Kindred.com, it takes that element completely out of the equation and it unleashes generosity in your people by making it as convenient
0: as possible to give. Here's how it works. If you want to give by text, you simply send a text to your church's giving number, and the first time, they'll reply with a secure link to register. After that first time, all you have to do is text the amount you want to give, and you'll receive a confirmation. Kindred also allows you to embed a smart giving button on any page of your website, and you can set up scheduled gifts to occur on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis. So it
1: really is user-friendly for the people in your church. And it also works on the back end as well. With their powerful tracking system and fast end-of-day transfers, Kindred works hard to make it just as easy on churches as it is for their givers. To find out more about how Kindred can help you and your church, visit Kindred.com and unleash generosity in your church. For our listeners only, enter code SHEEP during sign-up for your first month free.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and I am joined with the one and only Roman, the artisan goods maker, Johnson.
1: Back in action. Back in action. <laughs> I believe that pronounced artesian goods, Jared.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true. We're going to need somebody to, to, to jump on the old Google machine and let us know if that is accurate or not. Uh, this is the bait. Handmade we, hey.
1: artesian. Hey, Jared, do you want to tell everyone about uh, the handmade artesian good that you uh, you are an ownership of? I
0: do, but first I feel as though we need to talk. We've already talked about you making soap. <laughs> I don't know if we've explained that you one time skipped watching the Super Bowl to make soap, <laughs> a loaf of soap. I did. Um, I did. But, <laughs> <laughs> you make fun of me for not seeing Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. You skipped the freaking Super Bowl to make soap, man.
1: You want to hear something pretty bad? I I skipped the last half of the, last, the most recent Super Aww. Bowl, which apparently was the most like amazing half of football ever played. It was um, the greatest comeback in it.
0: Super Bowl history, Roman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jared, stop acting like you're some sort of big Pats fan. Now that you live in Boston, I have right? always
0: I I bleed red, white, and blue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true at all. It's not true. Anyway, at
1: all. I skipped I skipped it. I I left the party that I was at because my kid was getting sleepy, and I went and bought. I went to Walmart and bought. Some vacuum, (laughs) some vacuum polish, some aluminum polish for my new Kirby vacuum that I bought off of Craigslist because I Julianne wanted to polish it up like new. (laughs) So that is what I was doing instead of watching the Super Bowl.
0: I don't even know how to respond to that. What?
1: The the. In case our listeners are wondering, the vacuum looks fantastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wonders that. Nobody wonders. You should that. see it.
1: It is. It, I mean, it is. You can see a reflection in it. It is nice.
0: <laughs> you went and bought vacuum polish, and polished your Strictly vacuum. Strictly speaking,
1: it was not. It was not. It was not a labeled vacuum polish. It was aluminum polish that I used to polish the aluminum on my vacuum.
0: You can't uh, be vacuuming with know. a dirty
1: vacuum, Jared.
0: I don't know if that makes it any better. But uh, yes, yeah, so uh, Roman has also been, man. We need to move on. Roman has gotten really into I know. This is uh, our
1: podcast. We can do whatever we want.
0: Leather making, and uh, you know, I I got a wonderful gift uh, from Roman. Uh, it is a leather keychain. Now I'm not normally a keychain mm. guy, but this is a very cool artesian leather handmade keychain that is on my keys now. Uh, and so, Jared, Roman, why don't you tell everyone you.
1: what is what is stamped upon the keychain?
0: My initials, and my wife got one as well with her initials stamped into it. They are very, very nice, uh, very, very beautiful pieces. So, if you would like <laughs> one of these handmade <laughs> artesian me. leather goods, I probably want
1: it. It takes a while to make them. You just hit <laughs> us
0: up at Creative underscore Sheep, and we will get uh, old Roman on it. We will get something I'll, out there. I'll for send you.
1: you a scrap of a scrap of leather. <laughs> the best I can do.
0: So, folks, enough of this nonsense, uh, man. It's good to be back, uh, Roman, holding down the fort. I was under the weather last week; it was rough, but uh, glad to be back. And sorry the- to hear that. Hey, you you held it down nicely, sir. Uh, but glad to be Thank back. You. We've got a great interview for you today. This, I, you know, I've I've lost count, Roman. I don't even know what episode number this is. Um, however, we, 50 something, it is 50 something. We're quickly approaching uh, 60 episodes, uh, approaching nearly 30,000 downloads of our podcast. So, thank you, everyone out there who's listening, subscribing, and sharing. You guys are and gals are amazing. Thank you guys so much. Yes. Uh, you know, Kamsamnida. that's Korean for thank you. Uh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, how, yeah. But, uh, hey, you know, Roman, the conversation today is with a, a, a guy I met via the interweb. His name is John Sanders, and John is a pastor up north in the Dakotas. That's right, the Dakotas. Um,
1: he's the got, Dakotas!
0: The, <laughs> he's got multiple campuses. He's the pastor of a church called Rescue Church. Uh, It's a very fascinating—he's uh, just a very fascinating guy. He hosts a podcast, writes a blog— And get this, Roman, he's also a full-time firefighter. His church has multiple campuses, including a deaf campus in Peoria, Illinois. They also have a campus in Jamaica. Uh, This guy is just incredible. His energy is infectious. But the topic of our conversation and what I thought was so fascinating about him is that in spite of everything that he's got going on, uh, one of their campuses, dare I say, betrayed them. And the way that they handled it and hearing him tell the story of how this all came about, um, mistakes they made along the way, things they want to do to to improve it, uh, to make sure things like this don't happen in the future, and how he stayed from being bitter. It is a really great interview and really, really refreshing to hear his heart um, and that he's still just so focused on the mission of what his church is here to do Uh, I just thought it was a great conversation. I'm excited to get it out there. It's not one of those real like rah-rah pump you up kind of episodes, but it is inevitable that in ministry when we work with people, it's inevitable that somebody somewhere along the way is going to disappoint us, maybe betray us, maybe stab us in the back. Uh, People have the tendency to do that kind of thing. And this this is not a a uh, doomsday episode this isn't anything to have you guard guard your to put up a wall or anything like that towards people but more so just how do we handle this when it does happen what do you do and i think john gives some really really practical and great advice of things they've done through this process it's been really really incredible so roman i think without further ado we jump to our conversation with john sanders Man, John, I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Jared, I'm honored to get to be on the podcast, so thanks so much for having me. This is awesome.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, why don't you, for our listeners out there, why don't you give a a little bit of your story here? I love talking with you. We met a few weeks ago over the phone. And uh getting to hear your story. I was just fascinated by you. And so if you would go ahead and tell just kind of a nutshell version, if you will, how you got where you are today, um and, and a little bit of the journey along the way.
2: You bet. Well, it's kind of a long story worth about four cups of coffee, but <laughs> I've only got like half a cup in my cup here. So I'm gonna try <laughs> and keep it kind of short for you. But um I grew up in ministry as a pastor's kid, loved it and uh but did not really want it for my life. I had other plans and aspirations. Um, I ended up going to work as a firefighter in Illinois for the city of Peoria and got on that job when I was 21 years old. Thought I had my life pretty well mapped out and uh, God had other plans. I I continually felt this calling toward ministry and it was something that just grew in intensity over the years and I kept suppressing that and, and trying to run from that. But Early on, as a young guy, I was about four years into my career as a firefighter. I just really had that moment of surrender where I said, "Okay, God, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life running from you. If you want me in ministry, I'll go." And uh, really, that was kind of my my turning point where I knew then I'm going into ministry in some form of missionary pastor, something like that. And uh, then it really was a a journey to begin asking God, where do you want me? I I knew deep in my heart that God wanted me somewhere where there were white, sandy beaches and palm trees. Like I just, (laughs) my heart was breaking for people in Hawaii and Costa Rica and Jamaica. I literally was looking in all those places like, surely they need a missionary or a pastor. But uh, through kind of a long backstory, some connections that we had had from going all the way back to when I was a little third grade kid, God God opened doors that led me and my family to move to this little town of Flanders, South Dakota, uh, back in 2004. We arrived in April of 2004, and we planted a church, what has now become the Rescue Church, is what we call it. We're a non-denominational church that has really experienced a lot of growth over the years. Back in 2009, God gave us a vision for multi site And uh, we've been on that journey ever since. And so as I speak to you today, we are a multi-site church with five different campuses, primarily in small little rural communities, Uh, three of them in South Dakota, one a deaf campus down in Peoria, Illinois, and then one campus in Jamaica, of all places. So again, that's kind of the, my cup of coffee's gone now, so there's a lot more we could say, but that's the short version.
0: There's a lot that has happened in there, and, and so much that I want to jump in on. And so uh, but before, we, before we really go further here, there's something I've he- I heard you say when we talked a few weeks ago, but additionally, you've got this um, in your bio, I, if I'm not mistaken, this is on your blog, this is on maybe even your church's website, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I love, I love this, and, and I want you to explain this real quick for our listeners uh you you one thing you believe very very strongly about is that god doesn't call the equipped he equips the called explain that for us yeah
2: i know that's kind of cliche um and we say that a lot in in christian circles but i have lived that story that's my story because when i surrendered to ministry that was one of my biggest insecurities my mind goes to the story where Moses was trying to, you know, tell God and throw up all these excuses as to why God is calling the wrong guy to the job, you know, send someone else. And that was me. I was doing that with ministry. Even though I'd grown up in the ministry, I had all those excuses about, I'm not experienced enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have a degree. Like, God, I'm pretty sure up to this point, you've been perfect, but I think you might be making a mistake this time. Like, you don't want me in ministry. I'm not the guy. And really, when I was wrestling with God in that summer of 2002 and really surrendering to ministry, the, the message that God really drove home to me was um, John, I don't need you to be anything enough except willing enough. You know, I don't need you to be smart enough or old enough or experienced enough. I want to show the world what I can do through the life of one person that's yielded to me and willing to obey me. And so my journey has been, in many ways, very non traditional. Um, but it's just been a story of believing God for the impossible and, and being willing to do things a little bit differently than what, you know, the the average person may say you need to do it this way, but just believing that, look, this is God's story. He's writing it. It doesn't have to look like everyone else's story. And so, yeah, we, I'm a living example. I still don't have a, a degree from a seminary or a Bible college that used to be a huge point of insecurity in my life. And, um, and I'm not anti-seminary or Bible college. It's just in my story, God has shown me again and again, John, I didn't need you to be a seminary graduate. I needed you to be a willing vessel that would move when I told you to move, and, and I'll keep doing the heavy lifting. So I'm just hanging on for dear life and looking over my shoulder, seeing where God has equipped me to to fulfill the calling that He's put upon my life. So
0: which is just awesome. I love that. I love that. I know you said at the beginning of that it's cliche and even the way I set it up, it kind of, it seemed, uh, uh, maybe like our listeners wouldn't know this statement or something like that, which, but, but right. I just think it's one of those that bears repeating and that none of us are really qualified to do this. And so Absolutely. no matter how many degrees you have, uh, or don't have, um, it, I, I just love that. And so, uh, you know, I, I love something else you said there that, that, uh, through all of this, that God was just looking for a willing vessel and what he could do with that. And I love, uh, what we were talking about a few weeks ago, how, um, how you came in and you were hoping for the sandy beaches and maybe Costa Rica or Hawaii or Jamaica. And then lo and behold, now you actually have a campus in Jamaica.
2: Yeah. I'm telling you, God always writes way cooler stories with our lives than we would if we wrote (laughs) the story ourselves. Um, and I, again I there's so many things in my life I can point to that back that up but uh he he writes way better stories than we write so my only regret you know like walking away from the fire department as a young guy many you don't leave that job like you a lot of people try to get the job and you just don't quit to to go do something else and people said I'm crazy my only regret in walking away from it is I wish I would have surrendered sooner because wow. this journey of following the lord has been awesome like Again, I missed it. There were parts of it that felt like a real sacrifice, and I'm sure we'll get to it later in the story. But God's even restored some of that that passion in my life. But He did it in a way so unlike anything I would have written if it were entirely up to me to write the story. So yeah, He's He's a
0: good storyteller. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And so you know, one thing I want to jump in real quick. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but in that move uh, from being a firefighter, like you said, I mean, this was your dream to be the firefighter and to give that up. You said you wish you'd done it sooner. Were you, Were was there any fear in, in taking that step initially? Like, were you afraid to do it or was it more so the, the sacrifice that was holding you back?
2: Well, a little bit of both. And by the way, my real dream job was to play football for the Minnesota Vikings, (laughs) but they still never have called me. So whatever. That was my second dream job, but no, there was a little fear involved and a little sadness. The fear was, um, you know, stepping into an unknown future. And there's even a quick story, if I can share it with that, that um, I remember making a statement to my wife right around the time that we uh, made the decision that, yes, we're going to go into ministry and we don't know what that looks like. You know, there were way more unanswered questions than than answers, I guess. Um, I remember making the statement that one of the things I would miss the most about the fire department was the quote unquote security of being able to look at my union contract and see, you know, my paychecks <laughs> to the penny for 5 years out whatever and then literally within 2 days of me making that statement to my wife I was watching the local news in Peoria there one night and this is post September 11 2001 the economy's tanking the cities you know the municipalities are, are all doing very poorly I've seen reported on our local news for the first time that the city of Peoria was planning on shutting down two fire stations and laying off 22 firefighters wow. of which I was right in the middle of that group and man God just used that uh, among many other things to say to me John this job is not security I'm your security and if your trust is in anything but me it's 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 shaky ground so wow. trust me for your provision so yeah and that and so many other stories I could share where God just Demonstrated with real provision that John, I've got this. I'm confirming, I am in this story. So trust me and keep taking steps. But yeah, it's it's a real fear of stepping out into the unknown, of starting a church with no income and you know and not any guaranteed income. Yeah, a lot of fear involved with that.
0: For sure, I, I love I love all the things you're hitting on here because these are the things I feel like that as pastors we teach um, and and can be easy for us to have forgotten or. That things are going pretty well for us now, and so we we kind of forget that these are the things we need to be reminded of as well. And that it that there are going to be times throughout our lives that God will ask us to step out, and there may be some fear. But I love what you said right there, and maybe it just hits home for me because I'm in that transition phase of moving from Tulsa to Boston, and the uh, that making sure keeping my focus that God is our security. And so anyhow, not trying to not trying to derail with that. Um, so back in 2009 you said God gave you the vision for uh you, multi-site essentially and you said at the yeah. time like you didn't really know what that was that wasn't really a popular thing in the church don't I mean don't get me wrong there were churches that were doing it but yeah. not like what it is today today I would say like that's kind of the sexy thing to do in the church world yeah. right now is it's multi-site it's how many campuses do you have and yeah. This was back before that, or or maybe on the front end of that rather. And you didn't know this was a thing. And so you actually started digging in um and started doing some research to try to find somebody and came across a, a mutual uh I don't I shouldn't probably say friend, but Shannon Odell's been on the podcast and he's actually coming back on the show. Um and yeah. started digging in, especially to doing this in a rural community where it is different than doing it in a, a city or a a metro or or something like that. Um, and so yep. what was that journey journey like?
2: Well, leading up to two thousand nine, so we moved to this little town of Flanders, South Dakota. It's about twenty three hundred people. We moved here in April of two thousand four, and all I knew then was God called us here to plant a, a church, a self-supporting gospel preaching church. And so that was our goal, and we we had, you know, I, I like to say we didn't even start at ground zero. We were kind of below ground zero and had no real resources, and and the thought of becoming a fully self-supported church in terms of, you know, a church that's supporting its own pastor's full-time salary and having a building, I thought was going to take me the rest of my life to see that become a reality. Well, within about five years, God had done all of that. We were in a permanent facility. It wasn't brand new, but God had provided a facility. We were fully supported. We were running maybe 70 people at that time, 60, 70 people, and so I just remember thinking, well, this can't be all there is, and and I it kind of ushered me into a season of prayer and even some fasting, where there was a time where I was just praying, God, show me what's next. Like I thought we were going to take a lifetime to do this, and you've done it way faster. What's next? So the summer of two thousand nine, yes, that was the summer that um, that I was had been praying, been fasting, and all of a sudden doing a very spiritual thing with my family called camping. We were down in. Uh, <laughs> Southern South Dakota at a beautiful campground. And and I'm middle of the night. I'm laying in my camper there sleeping. And all of a sudden, and and I don't, I don't want to over sensationalize this because I didn't see angels. I didn't see a bright light. I didn't have any, you know, feelings running up and down my spine. When I say I I received a vision from God, it was just middle of the night. I'm wide awake. Can't go back to sleep. And, uh, which is very unusual for me. So I'm kind of laying there just praying. And all of a sudden God just, impressed upon my mind a few very clear, I just call them snapshots, like in my mind, I saw a glimpse of where God was leading and what the next level looked like, and I walked away from that night with with a, a sentence. Basically, God was saying, through the use of technology, I want to multiply this healthy little church that has been started in Flandreau, I want to multiply it into other rural communities. And so that's all I knew. I had never heard the term multisite. I didn't know it was even a thing. And so I just walked away from that going, okay, I don't even know what that looks like. That sounds expensive. I'm not a very techie guy. I don't know much about video. I had way more questions than answers. And yes, in the the process of time, I I picked up a book called A Multisite Church Road Trip, and started reading that, and, and I'm like, this is it. Like, this is what God showed me was multi-site. And and I started getting a vocabulary for the picture God had, <laughs> had kind of shown me. And then through that process in 2010, I was very frustrated because I part of my goal that year was to take our leadership team to some different churches that were doing multi-site to learn from them. And, yeah, I came back in June of that summer uh, from, like, our fourth church a little discouraged because we had learned some great things and met some great leaders, but we were talking to to churches that were in much larger cities, you know, cities where there's like restaurants and stoplights and things like that, (laughs) and where they were operating with resources that we just don't have in a smaller church in a smaller rural setting. So through some phone calls, I was basically saying, I've got to find where this is happening in a rural setting. And yeah, someone pointed me to Shannon O'Dell's book transforming church in rural America. I read the story, was blown away by it. I was like, this is our story. This is what God showed me. I've got to meet this guy. And, you know, fast forward, I was able to to get into a coaching network with Shannon back in 2010. And he's been up to our church here in South Dakota a couple of times and done a little pheasant hunting with me. And uh, wow. we have learned so much from him and just other leaders that he's been able to introduce me to. But Uh, yeah, he said one thing about multi-site, you use the word sexy, and I just want to touch on that. He said, if God has not called you to multi-site, thank him for it and just keep doing what you're doing. Do not get into multi-site because you think it's the new hip thing to do. Like, and I would, I would say yes and amen to that. It's an awesome tool and it's a viable tool, but I'm telling you, if God hasn't called you to do it be grateful for that, and just keep being a single-site church and love every minute of it, because multi-site brings its own set of challenges and whatnot. But that's, yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell.
0: Sure, sure. Um, And so with that, you were saying uh, don't go into multi-site unless you know for sure God's called you to do that, and you've actually experienced fairly recently some, maybe even some heartache, through uh, doing the multi-site model and yeah. uh not too long ago actually had to shut down a campus which i'm sure i mean you've got i know you've got 5 campuses right now which by all means is amazing you had a 6th and had to shut yeah. it down um and, and folks by no means is our our intention here to to publicly shame anyone but more so just talk about how to f- how to fix this moving forward um how to protect your heart and so let's dive into some of that tell us just kind of the nutshell version here um, if there is one, of, yeah. of roughly what happened and and uh, ultimately the outcome, like we said. I mean, you had to shut it down. What happened there?
2: Yeah, so, and I won't give names of communities or any personal names. That way I can keep it kind of generic. And, you know, anybody that isn't aware of the situation, they won't know what I'm talking about. They'll just get the, the big idea. But yeah. so back in November of, let's see, it would have been 2015, so just about a year ago from where we're recording this, I had an a individual from a community about an hour away from us, one of our little profile communities, you know, small rural town, county seat, about 2,300 people uh, reached out to me and, and basically said, hey, I'm a business owner. I own a coffee shop here in this town, this town. And again, I know the profile of these rural towns. There's no healthy evangelical church there. You've got some old, dying, mainline denominational churches that are stagnant, and then, I mean, they're on life support. You know, I've seen the vision of your church. I've been on your iCampus. You know, I've, I've watched some of this. What do I need to do to bring a campus of this church to this community? And that's like, that did not surprise me when I got that, because God showed me that vision way back in 2009. This yeah. is going to happen again and again and again. So I'm like, we're ready for this. Yes, we would love to bring a campus of the Rescue Church to your community. That is our vision. So we we started working with this individual and um but the here's one big problem and we we'll, we can talk more about this in a minute that we've diagnosed is that we did not have a clear campus pastor as we started and that is in multi site that is one of the key pieces you need for the success of a campus is a strong campus pastor and strong leadership well we didn't have that person but this individual this business owner was willing to be kind of the point person you know she wasn't really in that role wasn't comfortable in that role or title of campus pastor but we said okay here's what we'll do we'll just start you can open your coffee shop on sunday mornings and meet around our iCampus. campus it's a live technically i guess you could say that was our sixth campus um you know we have a live online campus uh, so anyway you can meet around that well she started to do that and it blew up in the best way possible like more people came way faster than we were ready for. Like it grew and we weren't ready for the growth that was coming. And again, I don't like, if there's a mega church guy listening to this, this isn't going to wow their socks at all. I'm talking small town, rural America. So like we went from, you know, five people to 12 to 20 to 29 to 37, that kind of significant growth in a short period of time where we recognized, man, something good's happening here. So I guess the long story, as short as I can make it, is we were in the process of hiring a campus pastor, and this individual brought us a mutual, well, a friend of hers that just so happened to be moving back to that community to help with the family farm, and he was a pastor in another uh, state, and so she brought him to us, introduced him to us. We had a lot of conversation on the phone about our vision and what that would look like, we started moving him through our interviewing process. He, we have kind of a long, defined process for how we hire campus pastors. And he was really on the later end of that journey. You know, he's coming up on his final interview. Everything was looking awesome. Like, we're going to get this guy. He's going to move here with his family. going to make a great campus pastor. Well, unbeknownst to us, behind our back, these two were having conversations about how they would like to see him be the pastor she would like to split this church off a lot of unhealthy things mm. with with this individual and uh, essentially he agreed yeah I'll be your pastor if you split the group of people away and and maybe we can see the rescue church leave the community and uh you know and up to this point we were batting a thousand we have never had a campus fail every campus we've ever planted has has succeeded and taken off and done well so we're used to that kind of health and so this was like this was not the DNA of our church operating in that way, that divisive uh deceptive thing. you know some flat out lies that were being told behind our back, but it killed the momentum, and they basically succeeded in their plan of of breaking away the vast majority of our people and just we did not have the momentum then we didn't have still didn't have the leader that we needed. So it hurt. Um, yeah. When the day, as a matter of fact, the day that you and I initially talked on the phone, I was on the road to that community to, to retrieve, uh, all of our equipment out of the building there and, and basically admit we're shutting it down. So that's been, that's been kind of a very painful, uh, I mean, I don't want to over dramatize it, but it, yeah. it was a painful thing. It sucked. I hate losing. And that felt <laughs> a lot like losing. So
0: for sure, for sure. So with that, I mean, once you found out about the the conversations that were going on, I'm sure that hurt and maybe even made you mad. I'm I mean, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes here. So with that, with that taking place, was there any temptation to, well, we'll just see what happens, or was it just no, we got to get in here and deal with this?
2: Yeah, we. I, I'm a communicator. I believe that God's Word teaches direct, open, honest, loving communication, and so we teach that whether we're talking marital relationships, friendships, conflict within the church, whatever, and we model that on our team, you know, to be honest, to keep current, meaning we deal with it sooner than later, we attack the problem, not the person, we, we forgive You know, these are just some simple principles. Matthew 18, Jesus said, if your brother has sinned against you, go show him his fault. So we literally learned about this betrayal on a Saturday night at 1130 p.m. I got a text from one of my staff members who was involved with that campus in a support role saying, hey, did you hear anything about so-and-so breaking away from the rescue church tomorrow? They're starting their own church. And I was like, no. So, you know, obviously some phone calls were being made late at night. And um, and my leadership team, I was so proud of them. We have a very healthy leadership team. They acted swiftly. They acted with decisiveness and in love, but firm, firm love. We literally, our our staff pulled together. And the next morning, I cut loose from the Flandreau location where I do live preaching. And my my team covered for me and myself and one of our leadership team members and another staff member. We made that hour-long journey over to this community, and I know that the faces of this lady who was leading this this revolt was stunned when she saw us walk through the door. Um, we were the first three guests in her new church, you know, basically showing up to go, hey, what's going on here? Wow. And we, we confronted her lovingly but openly, you know, she pointed out the deception. And really what I was doing in that moment, I, believe me, I was angry. I was I was angry. I was hurt. But I was I was fighting for that campus because it was a very unique makeup of the people that were coming, a lot of just very broken drug addicts, alcoholics, um, you know, just a lot of people that, that needed Jesus. And so I was there really trying to fight for that group to say, look, we're going to continue in this community and we're healthy. What is happening right here, this is not healthy. And I was trying to throw down the gauntlet of, you know. Choose, choose this day who you're going to serve and who you're going to be a part of. But, um, yeah, and that still ultimately didn't work. So, um, yeah, we, we shut that down about, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago now.
0: Sure. So, I mean, the, the wound on this one is still fairly fresh. Um, I mean, just as a human, and I know this is kind of a broad question, but how do you deal with a blow like this? I mean... You guys have been doing multi-site now for a little while, so it's not like this is brand new to you. But still, I mean, we're talking five, six years, maybe seven years into this. I mean, it's it's still something where you're you're gaining ground on. And so yeah, what, uh, I mean, just as a person, how did you deal with this? I mean, you're the senior leader of the group. Um, when you deal with a blow like this, like you said, this is the first campus you've ever had to deal with something like this. Just as a person, not as a pastor, but just as a person, how did you process, how did you, and maybe even still to this day, I'm sure there's still some fight to, to uh, keep some things out and not become bitter and that kind of thing. How have you processed this, just like I said, as a person?
2: Well, I think one one of the first things I would say is you have to be emotionally honest and and speak what you feel and don't try and over-spiritualize it and well, Christians don't get mad, you know, or it's not that big of a deal and and suppress it. I think I think part of being emotionally healthy is you have to speak those emotions and own them. I feel hurt, I feel angry, I feel embarrassed. I feel embarrassed if, if this if this other pastor, if they would have come to us and said, "Look, I feel like I'm supposed to be back in this community, but I don't know that I'm I'm really supposed to be a campus pastor under under your leadership. Is there any way we could talk about in the kingdom what does that look like if if I take over? I'm not saying I would have loved hearing that, but it would have given us an opportunity to kind of save face and to 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 leave on better terms than to you know, I, I equate it to being on the losing football team uh, on the bus rolling out of town, and I've had you know staff people around and go down. You can't view it as winning and losing. And I'm like, Well, this feels like losing, this does not feel like winning. Um, so I just we we have spent hours as a team, as my, my wife and I, and then with our leadership team and our staff, just discussing that and talking openly about that and letting that out there. You know, they say that thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. So whether that means you, you put it in writing on the keyboard or with a pen and a journal or whether you're speaking it out there, I just think that's healthy to have a team of people around you that you can vent that with. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of prayer where I'm saying all of that stuff to the Lord. Um. You just have to be emotionally honest and, and get that out there. And then publicly, I mean, to do that with my, with our church we as a whole, to get up and make those announcements, and it was ironic, we were right in the middle of a series called Emotional IQ, where we're talking about mm. being emotionally healthy. So it kind of gave me an opportunity to model what I was preaching for our church, even though I didn't feel like modeling it, but to, to say, look this is what that looks like we're going to own the fact that we're angry we're hurt we feel embarrassed we feel whatever we feel and uh, but now we have to respond in a godly way uh, to that but yeah jesus got angry i want i love the fact that we see jesus overturning tables in the temple and driving people out with whips i i'm i like that jesus too uh, that that can show his real emotions and so we did some of that we didn't whip anybody we overturned the table though just for the record
0: uh, man, I I really respect I really respect that just the the openness about this because I think that's something in the church world in particular um that we've we've almost uh uh what would the word be we've almost downplayed the emotional aspect and that we don't live yeah, by absolutely. our feelings and I I agree with that we can't let our feelings control who we are and what we do and guide our decisions for us but at the same time God gave us these emotions and so I right. love how you how you package that and that it's that it's about owning those emotions and, and even speaking them out loud. Um, I mean, when you look throughout the the book of Psalms, I mean, David was yes. it was very emotional. Um, and in the end, God said that David was a man after God's own heart. And so I just right. love how you package that. That's fantastic.
2: Well, one time I watched a pastor, and I'm sure this has happened many times in, in the church, but I, I watched a pastor that was very close to me treat a church split publicly or behind the scenes privately, he was wounded, bleeding, crying. Um, but publicly he would get in the pulpit and and basically hold it up to to the people, like, praise God, we now have two churches where there was only one. And that's not honest. And the people know that. And the people are hurting. They feel that same way. And then when their leader gets up and and is dishonest about it because it sounds spiritual, that's fake. It's plastic. And people see through that and so yeah, I think you just have to be transparent and, and open and honest. This is how we feel, and we're being honest about that, but this is how we're gonna handle it and this is how we're gonna respond. And so something else I would say that that we practically did as an action step in, in the aftermath of this, as tempting as it is to want to just point fingers and put all the blame on these two individuals, and believe me, they, they are worthy of a great deal of, of blame. Like if you ask me why did it fail. I could point to them and go, well, because of what they did to us. And there's some validity to that. But we had an entire, oh, I bet we spent an hour and a half as a staff and leadership team sitting around a circle, kind of um, debriefing that whole situation and saying, how did we get here? And um, I I read a book in the last year or two written by uh, two former Navy SEALs. I don't remember their names, but uh, the name of the book is Extreme Ownership and it's not a christian book but i believe it's a christian principle and a good leadership principle of you take ownership for your life and you take ownership for the outcomes and you don't point fingers and blame so we we made a whole list of some things that we looked at and said we could have helped avoid the situation if we would have done xyz one of the biggest things practically was we just identified we moved too quickly without a leader, we mm. were willing to embrace a messy situation without having a leader to manage the mess and it blew up in our face. And we, we can blame all day long, but that's on us, you know, so that as a leader, I have to take the ownership for that and say in the future, we will not make that mistake again. We've learned, you know, we're going to learn from this and, and take some practical lessons from the school of hard knocks and, and be better for it. So, yeah.
0: And that, that is incredible. I, I I really respect that in that you guys didn't like you said you didn't just point the finger. Um, you you look to see what did we do wrong, and I think that's something that that often gets overlooked in situations like this. Of if you're not careful, if you're not self aware enough, um, you you just look to well they did, they did this wrong, they did this wrong, and I, and I don't even think it just in this context. I think that's somewhat of human nature. We want to point the finger. We want to find a place to blame, where. Instead, you guys, you guys went the hard route and said, "What did we do wrong?" I think that's incredible. So, yeah. through all of this, um, how do you, how do, how do, you, how have you, and how has your team uh, guarded your heart from letting these imperfect people steer you off your mission and your calling?
2: That's a great question, and it's essentially exactly the opposite of what you said. We have just declared we are not going to let. This situation derail us from the greater vision that God has called us to. And so we're going to—and believe me, we spent some time focusing on that. We spent time licking our wounds and crying on each other's shoulders about it. But then we're not going to be a victim. That's that's why you take that ownership. I'm not just a victim of someone else's decision and their sin. We're We're going to deal with it. Okay, the enemy might have scored a few points, but we know our king has won the war. And we're going to keep on moving with him to the next one. And we, we may not win every single battle. You know, we, we may strike out a few times, but we're we're moving forward. Romans twelve eighteen was a verse we claimed a lot during that time. You know, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Uh, I, I like that because it's kind of like scripture is acknowledging that the word if implies it may not be possible. There may be some people even in the church who call themselves Christians, who claim to be godly yet do very ungodly things that you're just not going to be able to get along with. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And kind of the final note in that story, or at least where we sit with it right now, was when we finally made the decision that, okay, we're officially closing our doors. You you guys are getting what you want. We're leaving uh, this community. We reached out to them, and to, to both this, this pastor who is now living in that town, as well as this lady who owned the business who initially reached out to us, and in and, and a text message to both of them just said, hey, you're you're going to get what you wanted. We're leaving the community. Before we go, we would like to sit down and resolve, bring some closure to some unresolved conflict with you so that we can bless you as we go. And that was hard to actually get up in front of our church and pray God's blessing over this new church. But oh. um, but that I got uh, nothing from, from the the lady and from the guy, I got just a cowardly response hiding behind the board of his new church that, well, we're going to have to pray about your request. And it's like, man, this has nothing to do with your church or the board of your church. This is about you and what you did. But I just believe like, so as far as it depends on us, if they, if they respond, you know, if they're willing to come to the table a year from now, then we'll, we'll do what is up to us to do. We'll meet them there and we'll, we'll be willing to resolve conflict and, and uh, forgive them. And in our hearts, I guess I, I'm trying to forgive them. I'm trying to work through that and just say, God, because here's the thing, man, this is the, this is kind of the sucky reality of it. Part of me wants to, I feel like Jonah, where I want to pray, you know, God just rain down some fire on, on that. Like, don't bless that. Right. But then I look in my own life and my own leadership and I go, God has blessed my life and my ministry and my, I got all kinds of mistakes and sin in my past. So there's part of me going, God, you're probably going to bless them. You know, you're probably going to use them. And that's that's frustrating. But then when I look, I'm asking God to do the same thing in my life. But, you know, that's up to him what he wants to do with, with that, this new church. And part of me thinks the seeds of toxic dysfunction are already sown into the fabric of their foundation because at a at the core level of their leadership, the deception, the dishonesty, and their unwillingness to resolve conflict in a godly way. That's on them, but I'm not going to lead my team in that way. As far as it depends on us, we're willing to, to be at peace, and we're moving forward. So it, it sucks. I'm not going to pretend for a second that that's a pleasant thing to go through, but truly, we're looking we're looking forward to the future. We're excited about things that are coming in the days ahead, and this is truly becoming something in the rearview mirror and not something we're, we're dwelling on.
0: John, I appreciate your transparency, man, because I, I think it could be very easy to give the pastoral answer right there of, well, we're just forgiving them and, and kind of leaving it at that. But I appreciate you pulling back the curtain and and showing the, the true feelings you have right now, and, but at the same time that you're choosing to go with Scripture and that if if given the opportunity, you will sit down with them. And if, if I caught it correctly, did you say that you got up in front of your church and prayed for them and blessed them?
2: Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't a gushing overwhelming like on and on dear lord please bless this church. But but in all honesty, to be at that point where you can just say God, it, it they are yours to deal with and if 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 you want to use them to reach that community then we we pray for that. We pray that you'd use them to to reach people for the the kingdom because that's what it's about. So you know, we prayed that. I, even as I was leaving the community that day, when we were packing everything up out of our rented facility there, me and one of my staff members that was helping me before we left, everything was loaded up, and I just said, "You know what? We we prayed over this place when we came in. I'm praying over this building when we leave," and uh, and I included those individuals and that church in prayer. And that's that's a God thing that I'm not going to sit here and make it sound like that's where I live every day. If <laughs> if I was writing the story there would be some hellfire and brimstone raining down from heaven. Like that's, you know, that's where I'm at. But, but when I surrender to the Lord and try and live this out his way, you know, let's just, let's just do it like that. Cause that's in the end, that's probably a better way of handling it than, than my own wrath. So
0: for sure, for sure, man, that's some amazing stuff. You know, we've got just a little bit of time left. And I'd like to just kind of talk through some of the stuff you guys have learned going through this. And as far as you, you briefly touched on it a minute ago, you, get, you said you and your team sat down and took some time, uh, based on the Extreme Ownership book, to take responsibility and see kind of what you, you felt like you did wrong through that situation. Um, what are some, some uh, I guess, maybe some policies, some systems that have come out of this for you all um, to make sure this doesn't happen again moving forward?
2: Yeah, the, the biggest thing in terms of what we did wrong, and we probably weren't even that hard on ourselves, but just the things that we could have done to change the outcome is what I already mentioned, that we recognized we did not have a defined leader moving forward. We were trying to do this organic, like, let's just get a group started. But the group grew too fast. So, I, And I don't have my notes in front of me, but we had a whole page of bullet points that we took away from that. And one that sticks out to me was, that That we had growth that we weren't really ready for, we did not have the structure in place in terms of we know what the structure is it's it's in all of our other campuses with the the right staff members and the kid ministries and these things. We were always a step behind uh because we kind of let this thing get publicly announced as a formal campus of our church instead of keeping it defined as we we found a kind of a cool word on a blog in a few weeks back called microsite that Some of the, you know, some of these multi-site churches are experiencing, they're experimenting with something called a micro-site, which isn't a full-fledged campus, but it's more of a defined, you know, it's meeting in a prison or it's just a small group somewhere, but it's not yet to that campus status. And we, as we read that, we were kind of like, this is what we have over here in this community. It's not really a campus, but for public purposes, we were calling it a campus and therefore we were constantly behind the eight ball with. You know, just the, some of the structure that we expect in our other locations that we did not have in place. So it was really a leadership. At the end of the day, it was a lack of of having the right leaders in position, ready to receive and assimilate the growth that was coming into that to that new location. So it, it looked like a good problem to have, but without leaders, it, it was it was ultimately a detrimental problem because it allowed some unhealthy players to. If we would have had good leaders in place, we could have. Worked around a few of these unhealthy people for sure but
0: man, that's so good um you know i would be curious your take on on uh on this that is is betrayal is uh, or, or disappointment uh people letting you down and this is kind of a lofty uh softball kind of question uh, but it, it's kind of I guess I'll just say it like this it's kind of inevitable that working with people working in ministry stuff is going to happen where people are going to yep. let you down, people are going to disappoint you, people are going to betray you. Yep. Um, and with that, I guess just kind of in closing thoughts, what would you say, like, what encouragement would you give to somebody out there listening that maybe hasn't experienced this yet, somebody that's just getting started in ministry, or for the person that's dealing with the same thing that you're going through right now? Um, yeah. What, what, uh, what advice would you give to, to them?
2: Well, this is gonna sound again so cliche, but it's true. It it happened to Jesus. And if Jesus was betrayed by some of those closest to him within his inner circle, betrayed by Judas, his friends all ditched out on him in his hour of greatest need. If that happens to Jesus, I don't know why we would expect anything, you know, better than that in our own leadership. And but having said that, even though we know that's true, it still hurts. It is the it, it is my absolute least favorite part of ministry. Is losing people, and especially when you lose people through betrayal. Um, my wife and I did something kind of interesting a couple of weeks back. We were on a road trip, and I don't know where the idea came for this, but it ended up being kind of therapeutic and kind of depressing all at the same time. We started making a list of names of people in the last 12 years since we've been in this little community of people that have been at some point with us in our church for a season and are no longer here. And, now, I'm not just talking about the first-time guests that never came back. I'm talking about people that, whether it was for a few months or for a few years, and I won't make you guess the number. I'll just tell you, it was over 300 names of people that have at one point been with us and are not. Now, some wow. of the names on that list represent people who have died and are with Jesus in heaven. Some I question whether they're there or not, uh, <laughs> but others represent you know families that move away in a mobile society, so they they're not all conflict. I don't want to make it sound like three hundred of sure. those represent conflict, but a number of them do man, there are some painful stories represented with the names on that list, and the depressing part is you're going to have people leave your church, but the therapeutic part is you're going to have people leave your church you're going to have people betray you, and I think as pastors, that is a price tag of leadership. We just have to. To accept, and it's it's a hard one because what you cannot do is let your heart get bitter and cold toward people and become so untrusting of them. You still have to, with God's help, have that shepherd's heart and that love and compassion for people, knowing full well some of these people are going to stab me in a you know stab me in the back and they're going to hurt me. Um, but another takeaway that I I also took from that is that you're also if you know some of these people are leaving here's another good word to pastors do not neglect your family for your church because hundreds of those people will not be with you 10 years from now um but your family lord willing still will be and so love the people but hold them loosely you know love them with the, with the heart of a shepherd but hold them loosely hold them lightly cuz some are going to leave some are going to move away at some point all of them are going to die and there's going to be a few turds in the bunch that are going to stab you in the back and do the most ungodly things to you. And what a shame when you sacrifice your family and you've given your best to these people that aren't even going to stick with you anyway, you know? And so that's just another word to to pastors to prioritize ministry where it needs to be and, you know, give the people what they need, but give your family the best of you. And that's way easier said than done. Um, And, and to be full disclosure, That's a continuous struggle in my own life, so I don't want to put myself on a pedestal like I've got that one figured out. But that was just another takeaway as I look at all that list of names and go, man, I've poured hours into some of these people, hours and hours, and to think, you know, my wife and kids were at home without without their dad there, without their husband there, while I'm pouring into this person that isn't even with us five years later. It's kind of eye-opening, and it just makes you think we need to put it in perspective.
0: For sure. Man, John, I appreciate you being so so vul- vulnerable and uh, transparent with us today. Uh, so much good to take out of that. love what you said there at the end, keeping your primary ministry the primary ministry. That's so good. And John, if if folks uh, folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about that?
2: Yeah, well, there's a couple ways you can reach me. I have a blog called, you can find it at johnsanders.org, and all my links to my social media are there. By the way, I saw my name J-O-N, so... Uh, JohnSanders.org, but I also host a weekly podcast that's really geared for pastors in small towns, rural communities. I call it the Small Town Big Church Podcast. So you can find that on iTunes, and if you're having trouble sleeping at night, just press play on one of those, and <laughs> you'll be out in no time. But uh, yeah, my social media and my website—that's probably the best ways to to reach out to me if you want to check me out a little more, or ask me any questions. I would love the conversation. So
0: perfect, John. So thanks. At. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing with us. Really appreciate it, man.
2: Garrett, it's been great having me here. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank
1: you. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Leadership Podcast today. Uh, as always, this podcast is brought to you by creativesheep.org. And uh, we on that on that website, we create premium media for the church. So if you need Uh, You need maybe a video or you need some graphics or you need some custom work. uh, You can hit us up on there and uh, we'll take care of you. And the show notes are also found at creativesheep.org as well. Uh, And as always, if you want to get in touch with us, maybe you want to send us a question or a comment, uh, or you'd like to send a suggestion for someone you'd like to hear on the show. You can find us online at creative underscore sheep on social media.
0: Folks, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up. And until next week, uh, folks, we've got a great interview. Ryan Frank is joining us on the show. Ryan Frank will be joining us on the show. Really excited about that. Folks, we will talk with you all next week. Enjoy this beautiful week that we are having. Farewell.